This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So obviously, we see the fruit of Timothy's faith attributed to him by his mother and grandmother, which tells us we need to teach our children about the Word of God. We need to teach them the Word of God and the ways of God through the Scriptures, and we see the fruit of that. You get someone who loves the Lord and not ashamed to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you look at what an influence the godly example of Timothy's mother had on him, you know that it's true if you have children today too. The example you set for them could set them on a path of seeking to know God intimately themselves. As Pastor Eddie's going to show you, that example keeps going forward. Timothy was a huge encouragement to Paul and to the churches he helped to grow. And it all started for him with his mother. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1 as he begins his message, Greetings from the Apostle Paul. First Timothy chapter 1, we're going to read from verse 1 all the way to verse 2, okay? So, this is going to be long. (laughs) 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Allow me by way of introduction to give you a little background as we do with every book. It's good to get a little background of, you know, the who, what, where, and why. And that's exactly what we're going to study, the who, what, where, and why concerning this book, 1 Timothy. And so if you want more of a background, the book of Acts is a great book to read through it. You can read chapter 14, chapter 16, and chapters 21 to 26 of the book of Acts. Now, Timothy, the book of Timothy, the epistle of Timothy, along with 2 Timothy and Titus, is what is known as the pastoral epistles. The pastoral epistles. That term began in the 1700s. That wasn't a term before the 1700s. And obviously, if we look at these books, obviously we find that it is a letter written to two pastors, Pastor Timothy and Pastor Titus. How the church should function and living as the body of Christ. And so we begin with the who. Who? Who wrote this first letter to Timothy? Well, if we look at the first word in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, in those days, we find the names are written in the beginning of the letters because they were written in scrolls. Today, we write a letter, and after we write, dear so-and-so, we write the letter at the end, we say, sincerely, uh, John Doe. So, but in this case, it's a scroll. If they 
didn't write the name who it was. They would have to scroll. Sometimes they're 27 feet long, these scrolls, to get to know who wrote this letter. So the reason why Paul comes out, he puts his name first, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And now, as with every author of the book, uh, you have scholars that sometimes they have a disagreement as to who is the author. Um, modern liberal scholars believe that the work of Timothy was written by an unknown author, wrote it on the behalf of Paul, putting Paul's name in it. And it was believed to be written, according to them, 30 or 50 years after his death. However, uh, the majority of scholars disagree with that. They find no historical evidence to prove that. And if we go a little bit further before the scholars, we go to the early church fathers. The early church fathers, as Tyrannius, Tertullian, along with Clement of Alexandria, ascribe 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus to the Apostle Paul. So I'd rather go back to the early fathers who were there, who knew, and um, were just a, a few years after them to know that they wrote the letter. But ultimately, ultimately, 1 Timothy is part of the inspired word of God. Though it was written by Paul, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, Paul writes this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So every book that's in your lap in the Bible, their books, um, is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we can see that in a span of 1,500 years, 40 different authors, we find there is a consistency, and it doesn't contradict the other books. Many of them don't know each other. Um, we're talking about from shepherds to kings to prophets. They're all consistent. So we can know that the word of God is inspired. Now, a little bit background who the Apostle Paul is. I know we all know, but just in case, Paul's name means little, little. That's what Paul means, little. Before he changed his name to Paul, his birth name was Saul. Saul. And he's from the tribe of Benjamin. His parents named him after a famous Benjamite. The famous Benjamite there was was King Saul. He was the first king of Israel. Now, when Saul, when Paul was Saul, years before his conversion, he was Saul of Tarsus. He was a persecutor. He was a terrorist of the early church. He persecuted the church. It wasn't until Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, when it was Saul on the road to Damascus, he was on the road to arrest Christians. However, he himself was arrested by the love of Jesus Christ and his grace. It's when the Lord knocked him off his high horse and he was converted and became a follower of Jesus Christ. So he changed his name Saul, Saul of Tarsus, to Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I think this is a reminder for us of you study that and how Paul was converted, who he was before Jesus. It proves that anyone can be saved. Anyone can be saved. If you were around Paul's day and you were, and you were to ask the people of that town or country, and who would be the last person to be saved? His name is Saul of Tarsus. But he became a Christian and followed Jesus Christ because nothing is impossible for God. His love, his grace, and his kindness leads us to repentance. So that is the author. He was Paul. Now who's the recipient? The recipient is his protege, Timotheus. Timotheus. Uh, Timothy, that's his name in the English. 
he writes in verse 2, he says, a true son of the faith, a true son of the faith. And so Timothy has a good meaning to the name. Timothy means one who honors and worships God. What a good name, Timothy. One who honors and worships God. And if you study the life of Timothy, you'll find that he lived up to that name. He was faithful to the Lord, faithful in serving alongside the apostle Paul. During this time, when Paul first met Timothy, he was in his 30s, many scholars believe, and it was later when he wrote this letter, 1 Timothy was in his 40s. Now, Timothy is the son of a Greek father. His mother was Jewish, so he's half Jewish, half Greek. And then there's no mention about his father being a Christian. I guess the fact that they say that he was a Greek, that's a clear indication that he wasn't a follower. If he was a believer, they would say a fellow Gentile believer. And that's the language that is pretty much used in the New Testament. However, Timothy, he grew up. His mother showed him the scriptures. His grandmother showed him the scriptures. Both his mother, Timothy's mother and grandmother, were known for their sincere faith. They raised up Timothy, teaching him the ways of God. And most likely, they would teach him from the old scriptures, the prophets, Moses. And it wasn't until probably Paul's first missionary journey where they converted and became believers in Jesus Christ. Paul mentions both Timothy's mother and grandmother in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Paul writes, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Also in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, he, says, he speaks of Timothy, he says, From childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So obviously we see the fruit of Timothy's faith attributed to him by his mother and grandmother, which tells us we need to teach our children about the Word of God. We need to teach them the word of God, and the ways of God through the scriptures. And we see the fruit of that. You get someone who loves the Lord and not ashamed to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was during Paul's second missionary journey in Acts chapter 16 when Paul first met Timothy. Let's look at that. It's in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. It says, then he, speaking of Paul, Luke is writing the book of Acts. Then he, Paul, came to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. He took him, circumcised him. Ouch, at that age, it's not good. Because of the Jews who were in the region, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So the Greeks, they did not want to deify the body. So in those in ancient times, they did not believe in circumcision. So Paul, I mean, think about Timothy did it for the sake of the gospel. There's no argument there. And that probably was the first test to see whether or not he was going to be a disciple of Paul the Apostle. So we see that in, in as far as Timothy. Now, from Acts chapter 16 and on, you'll find Timothy with the Apostle Paul. This is why he calls him a true son of the faith. Timothy was Paul's disciple, helper, companion. Timothy was with Paul in prison. Timothy was with Paul when he wrote 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and Philemon, because his name is mentioned in the letter. And that is why Paul calls him, in verse 2, he says to Timothy, 
a true son in the faith. That's to who, now the what. The what would give us the theme of this letter. The theme of this letter. The theme of this letter could be found in the key verse. And the key verse is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Paul writes, I write. This is the reason why he's writing 1 Timothy. I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. This letter is the reason why it's called pastoral epistles. It's to give instruction to pastors, but also for the church to follow. Now, Paul had sent Timothy to the church of Ephesus to give them instruction in how the church and the people of God to function, how the church should live as the body of Christ. And that will be the title for the whole book, Live as the Body of Christ. And when Paul gives his instruction, he gives instruction in the following areas. And we're going to find this as we study 1 Timothy. To keep the teaching of the sound doctrine. Just keep the doctrine that you've been taught. Keep it. And we can see that churches have moved away from sound doctrine. In fact, they don't even teach doctrine. Order in the house of God. There is order in the house of God. Talks about leadership, the qualification of leadership, ordination of leadership, and the people of the church. So these are the areas that we're going to touch on as we study through 1 Timothy verse by verse. And after we have studied this, this pastoral epistle, you'll find how far the church had moved away from biblical leadership, from biblical church structure, from church order. Believe it or not, the scriptures gives us and how we ought to conduct ourselves in a church even today. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, Paul writes this. He says, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meanings of God's holy people. He's a God of order. And everything about the church, it's ordained, and it has to be in order according to the scripture. So there is to be order in leadership, order in church government, Order in the meetings, order in assembly, order in the church. When we come to order and structure and function of the church, we need to know we need to stay faithful to the scripture. Anything that has to do with church, it has to be according to scripture. People will say, why don't you have membership? Well, I don't see membership in the Bible. You belong to God. Membership gives leadership more control over you. Oh, we're going to take your membership. <laughs> as long as you're going to take the salvation, I think that person is okay. Oh, why, what does the board says that the pastor should do as the pastor's a puppet? It's not a board-run church. I don't find that. If that be the case, there'll be a board with Moses. Moses would have been voted off. Sorry, Moses, we don't like you. As a matter of fact, they went against Moses. You remember Korah and his family? Moses said, listen, don't go against me. It's not because of me. The Lord has ordained me. What you're doing is you're messing with your ordination of God. And guess what? The earth swallowed Korah and his family and all those that were with him. That's a business structure. Oh, let's run the church like a business. Let's just have a board, you know, and then they fire a higher pastor. Jesus said, that's a hiring. They fire a higher pastor. That's a hiring. You're hiring the pastor to do whatever. What do you want me to do? And he's like a puppet. Okay, you don't want me to pray that way? I won't pray that way. Okay, I'll move this way. No, don't move that way. We want you to move. Okay, I'll move this. What kind of pastor is that? That's not biblical. Again, Moses would have been voted off. The disciples would have voted Jesus off. Jesus, yeah, you, but then let's get somebody else. It's not a biblical concept. So that's the reason why we stick to the scriptures. We stick to the word of God. It doesn't matter what tradition, what denomination. It doesn't matter the culture of the time. Many people think we need to change with the times. No, no. The times need to go according to the scriptures. The scripture doesn't change according to the culture or the times. It doesn't. Not even to be politically correct. Biblically correct is what we're going to be. And we'll always be. 
It's according to the word of God. We moved away from it. God is the same yesterday, today, forever. And his church ought to be structured and led and in order the way God has ordained in his word. Now, the when. First Timothy and along with Titus was written about 62-64 AD. And um, Second Timothy was written about 67 AD. That was the last letter the apostle Paul wrote before he was beheaded. Now, the where. The where is... Ephesus. You see in verse 3 of chapter 1, Paul is writing from Macedonia, but he's writing to Timothy, who's in Ephesus. So he sent Timothy to Ephesus. Ephesus is what we know today as modern-day Turkey. And so that's where Ephesus was. So if ever you look at a map, you say, oh, Turkey, think about it. Hey, there's a biblical background history there. And that's where Ephesus was. Ephesus was the largest city in the capital of the Roman province. It was the vital commercial center of Rome. Adding to the attractions of Ephesus was a temple dedicated to the goddess Artemis, a Latin language called Diana. That was the god. And if you go there today, there are some ruins left behind. It's known as the seven wonders of the ancient world. And so Diana was the most popular god of all the gods. Diana was known as the fertility god, but subsequently became the goddess of sexuality. And there's also another known god there. It's called the winged goddess of victory, and that is Nike. So if you have Nike shoes, very cultic, get ripped, not just kidding. That's why they're on your feet, where they belong, in the floor, not just kidding. But during the Roman period, um, people from around the world, we're talking about prominent generals and politicians, would come to Ephesus to offer sacrifices to the statue of the goddess Diana. And although there were many gods were worshipped there in Ephesus, Diana was by far the most important deity in the first century. It wasn't until... 50 to 52 AD, during Paul's second missionary journey, you'll find in Acts chapter 18 and verses 19 to 28. And it was during this time when Paul met Timothy, when Paul came to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel continued to be shared by the apostle Paul and those that were converted and those that accepted Jesus Christ. The gospel spread out throughout Ephesus and churches began to grow and they began to have other churches. It got to the point when you get to Acts chapter 19 during Paul's third missionary journey, when he gets there the third time, that the silversmiths, the silversmiths who created and formed these statues, these idols of Diana, they were losing a lot of business. They found the problem was that people were not worshiping Diana anymore. Many were coming to Christ. That city was turned over because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you find there was an uproar, and they got together, all the silversmiths, and they caused an uproar, and went after Paul, and started shouting out, you know, Diana, that she's the God. And so as Paul and the Ephesian believers preached the gospel, they continued to preach the gospel. That didn't stop Paul. The influence of Christianity grew, and the worship of Diana faded away the next 200 years. Later on, the temple dedicated to Diana was destroyed in 262 A.D. When you look at the scriptures and see how God moves, it should be a reminder to us. You know, I recommend we read this passage in Acts chapter 19. 18 and 19, read it and see how God moved in that culture in that time. Because you'll find the Apostle Paul and the church of Ephesus, they didn't go around protesting. They didn't go around protesting 
on political issues, medical issues. They didn't go in the steps of the temple of Diana and say, Diana is a false god. Come to Christ. No. What did they do to change that culture? They share the gospel of Jesus Christ. They share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as they share the gospel of Jesus Christ, without the New Testament, by the way, it wasn't fully canonized in that time. They changed that city around where now this God, Diana, is no more. It wasn't because of protesting. Don't get caught up on that. Christians should be protesting Jesus Christ, proclaiming, not protesting, proclaiming. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, you stand where there's biblical principles because today, oh, you know, we got so many Christians. Oh, yeah, you know, they stole the election. Oh, you know, it's like crazy. Is that what you're going to be known for, political issues or to be a Christian? If you change people to Christ, you don't have to worry about protests and about political issues. Because the gospel itself would change the heart of man, and they would realize what the government, these legislators, are passing that are not biblical. And then when it's time to vote, they're voting with a Christian mindset. Now, here's the why. Why did Paul write to Timothy to set things straight? Drop down to verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1. Verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1. Paul writes this. As I urge you when I was in Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause dispute rather than godly edification, which is in faith. And we'll study that more in detail in our next study, Lord willing. So before the church of Ephesus became a church, we see that you know, Ephesus was predominantly a pagan city. It's pretty much where we live now, not so much, well, there's evil and paganism everywhere, but in our world, we live in a pagan world where evil perversion, sexual immorality is rampant. You find it in TV commercials, billboards, magazines. It's like you just can't go out until you have to see something that's perverted. And now the perversion is working into public schools, which is sad. So we need to pray If we're not careful enough, paganism may work its way into your life and into the church. We can't be influenced by the things of the world. We need to be focused on Jesus Christ and the gospel and stick to that. That's why this book is applicable even for us today. It's amazing, almost 2,000 years that this letter was written and it's applicable for us today. Now, the church of Ephesus was thriving. When you get to Acts chapter 20, you find that uh, Paul had the uh, first ever pastor's conference. The first pastor's conference is in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 30. It says this, therefore, take heed, he's speaking to leaders, to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Let him know it's not you, it's Jesus who purchased the church through his blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves would come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourself, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples among themselves. Pastor Eddie Pinero has been digging into the book of 1 Timothy with us here on Running the Race. There's so much more to learn from this New Testament letter, but our time has come to an end for today. Before we go, we'd like to invite you to visit our website to hear more messages from Pastor Eddie. Head over to runningtheraceradio.com. There, you'll also find a link to our podcast where you can subscribe to receive up-to-date messages each time they're available. If you're in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area, why not come be a part of our weekly worship service? 
We gather each Sunday at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. for Bible study, worship, and getting to know each other better. Find more information at runningtheraceradio.com. If you're in a place of blessing due to this radio ministry and you'd like to know how you can partner with us, we'd gladly accept your support. Here's Jessica to tell you more. Prayers for this ministry would be so appreciated. The opportunity for the lost to be reached over the radio is incredible. So please pray for our listening audience and that what's shared will alter people's lives forever. Another way you can support us is by prayerfully considering giving in a financial way. There's a lot of time and effort that goes into producing this program, and we're grateful for all who are willing to come alongside us to support the creation of each program. If you feel led to do this, you can find a Give tab at runningtheraceradio.com. We hope you'll join us again next time, right here on Running the Race.